You may have played poker, but playing poker in Texas is a different animal. This is the Texas Poker Podcast with Tyler and Clint. Hello, this is the Texas Poker Podcast. I'm Tyler. This is Clint. What's up, y'all? And we are back with episode six. Feels like we've been gone forever. Yeah, because we had an early podcast last week, so this is ten days for us. We're not pros, so this could be rocky. This could get <laughs> this could get this could get off the tracks a little bit. <laughs> right? Yeah, we had an early one, and this week we have a late one, just because you know, just two guys with any varying schedules. You know, sometimes it's not consistent. Life happens, and until I'm getting paid for this podcast, <laughs> it's gonna go by my schedule. <laughs> the podcast will have to adjust to your schedule. <laughs> very, very true. Right, especially when you're making that hour and a half drive up here. So, yeah, College Station's a little far from Houston. If uh, you ha- if you don't know the geography in Texas, <laughs> but uh, so how's uh, how you, how are you running this week, man? I am just. I've been on fire this week. I mean, I had my biggest winning session ever um, two days ago. And then yesterday, I beat that again. God almighty. And I mean, you've been playing for quite a while now, so that's pretty amazing to beat it like back to back. Oh, yeah. I I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was one of those ones too yesterday where I really didn't want to go play. I kind of wanted just to stay home. And I was kind of like, I really should go play, though, just to kind of grind out a few more hours. Because putting in a five-hour week is pretty pitiful whenever you have the option to put in way more hours. Yeah, that's kind of amazing that you had such a good session with that mindset. Because I feel like when I go in with that mindset, it just never works out real well. Didn't start off great. I mean, I was started off down horribly, and I was sitting there thinking, I should have gone home. Yeah, that's a... Well, uh, eventually the cards picked up, so that's really good. Because, I mean, when you go in with the mindset of, hey, I don't really want to play today, and then it start, goes starts even worse than that, it's easy to kind of go on like a real quick tilt. So, Well, I guess let me start with the uh, the first session. So I had, so early in the week I had one pretty good winning session, and then I played like, I played horribly and lost because that's the nature of playing horribly. You seem to lose. It definitely helps things. <laughs> yeah. I say they will facilitate taking your money if you want to play bad. So they took my money. I mean, I was in and out before. I mean, it was about an hour and a half, kind of bad session. So then I came back and I had my biggest winning session. And man, it was like just whatever I needed hit, flopped sets, you know, hit flushes. And then, like we were saying, not getting hit for a big hand like not taking a bad beat or you know getting sucked out on or paying someone off a big hand yeah that's whenever i've had the big sessions i mean you want to think it's like oh well i made this great hero call or i made this great bluff but most of my big sessions i just hit hands got paid for them and avoided spots where i lost big i mean it's you know, you kind of let the cards do your thing and don't fight against it type deal. That was, like, I would like to say I played well in that session where I had my first, or my most recent uh, biggest winning session. Uh, or, sorry, the one earlier in the week. 
but I really didn't do hardly anything. I mean, I just kept getting good hands and people would have slightly less good hands. And that was basically the story of the whole session. I mean, just time and time again, which, I mean, that'll happen. I mean, you're counting on it because, I mean, yeah, poker's great. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a skill game in the long run. But in the short run, I mean, if you go to a session and you can't hit anything, it's hard to make a profit. I mean, you you can be as skillful as you want. You can't skill flopping a boat. I mean, you just have to flop a boat. <laughs> so... Right, that's something that I find so interesting that, like, any given particular session, um, you can play perfect and still lose, or you can play horribly and still win. But it's still a skill game, and over the long term is when the skill comes in. That's still so interesting to me. Yeah, well, and, you know, we all curse our luck about that, you know, that donkey who chased his gut shot to the river calling pot size bets. But. If there's not just enough, because I was listening to this on the radio the other day from a like a sports gambling show, and you have to have just the right amount of luck and the right amount of skill. Because if the luck is too much, then you just can't make a profit. But if the skill is too much, then you know all the players that aren't good. I mean, if they never won anything, they're not going to play. I mean, they're not going to come in and just lose every single time. So Texas Hold'em is perfect for just having that right amount of luck and right amount of skill. And PLO's perfect for having all of the luck. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> I guess that's spoken like two non-PLO players. Uh, but uh, Yeah, uh, granted, my understanding of it probably uh, does not help that on, on any level. <laughs> but here's so, I guess let me kind of tell you what happened with uh, yesterday's session, the the new biggest winning session. Okay. So I didn't really want to play. I showed up anyway, and I was like, all right, you know, here we go. So I sit down, I flop top two pair to someone's, uh, sorry, top and bottom pair into someone's flop set and lose the first bullet immediately. Not a good way to start off a session. Not a good way to start. Then I'm sitting there playing pretty tight, just, I mean, almost playing no hands. And then we're playing five-handed, and I flop. What was it? I flopped two pair again to someone's flop straight. Oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, clearly it's not my day is what I was. Th- I mean, I'm sitting here looking at my chip count and I'm like, I'm down to like maybe 300 bucks. And I was like looking at the table and I was, I told the dealer, I said, even if I want every single chip on this table right now, I still would be down. The facts are pointing to this not being a great session. <laughs> Not at all. And then, I mean, it kind of came up because it was a very short stack table. It was, I think it was like two guys who were like brand new maybe and hadn't played before. And they bought in for like a hundred each. And then it was a pretty short stack game. So I told, I said, Hey man, let's just, let's just draw. I'd rather, I should either go home because doing this isn't getting any, doing anyone any favors right now. So they're like, all right, sure. We can draw. So we draw and um, one guy actually said, I don't even want to play. You guys can so we go to sit down i see i couldn't quite find the right table but they said there were four open seats so i saw someone get up and walk away so i'll just go sit there and they said whoa this is the five five game so i guess i'll play this is just what i need (laughs) wait so are you at three you're only at 300 and you sat down at five five i did did you did you add on i did (laughs) okay i was gonna say i was like 
man, this is gonna be. You're really trying to run this up right here. Uh, no, I I, uh, I sat down and I didn't know there was a five five game going on. I would have been on the list beforehand because I'm playing that five handed game wasn't really helping me much. So I just kind of walked onto that. Like, oh, this is the five five game. So I took out some more money. I was like, oh, I'll play this then instead. I still find it so weird that like Texas has five five. One three and no two five. It seems like that middle that the lack of that middle gap is just so weird to me. Well, I guess Paramount has a two five, but that's about it. Yeah, it's just you know what back in uh, before all of this in the underground games, there was no five five. I ever remember it was all one three and then two five. I just find it very strange. I mean, it, it seems like such a wide like a wide jump. Yeah, I agree, but I guess it kind of lends to that one three game being so deep to where you can find games that are similar to a two five. I guess so. I mean, it, there's probably not that much difference, but I don't know. It seems like there could be some middle ground. But okay, so you walk over there and you're having a bad session. You don't feel like playing, and then you decide to go ahead and take and sit at the five five table. So what happens after this? After you add on? <laughs> so yeah. So once I stumble on the wrong table. Um, they, man, they greeted me with open arms though, when they saw me <laughs> getting beat up at the 1-3 table to come play at the 5-5. Five five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. He's like, he's having trouble at the 1-2. Let's get him over to the... Yeah, that's... Yeah, I can see that they were very happy to have you at the table, probably, yeah. <laughs> very welcoming. But, uh, so I bought in, and uh, I had pocket 10s, uh, like, under the gun plus one. I raised and got three bet. And someone flat called, and so I called. I mean, I was calling either way. So I called and just flopped a set. Um, I checked it to the three better. He bet. So the person – actually, I called. The other person went all in for less. And then on the turn, it was a very uh, kind of bricky card. So then um, – but I knew I needed to take the betting lead. Right. So um, I checked it over to him. He bet. I raised him. Um about three X and then on the river, which was a blank again, he, um, I just went all in and he called. So what did he end up having? Didn't show. I think he had like aces or Kings though. Yeah. That's a, I like your three X raise on the turn bet. I mean, that's, that's a size that, I mean, it really makes it tempting to call given the pot odds. It's hard to get away from a hand knowing that even knowing that you're probably not good. Uh, I kind of like the sizing there. Well, yeah, and then I thought it was going to be a very awkward river um, to just try to, like, lead out or check raise on the river. Seemed very strange. I mean, disaster would be if it checks through because the only straight was, like, a, I think it was, like, a 6-9 or something, something that he wouldn't have in a three-bet pot. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, I always like raising there. So, I mean, if it checks, checks on the turn, then you just lead out on the river. And but you're probably you're probably not able to get your whole stack in there. I assume if it check checks, but I ended up going all in on the river. Yeah, how, how played? Yeah. Okay, very very nice. Uh, so yeah, it's a good thing he uh he kind of fell into your trap and bet that turn. And then I had another hand where I had so then the game they wanted to play five five ten twenty. This is just so far out of your league at this point. Right, that's, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, you might as well be sitting down with Daniel Negreanu and <laughs> Phil Hellmuth and playing 50-100 at this point for one of us. <laughs> right, that, I mean, so I'm there and they said they want to do one orbit, so I was like, sure, we can do one orbit, I guess. So cut to like two orbits later when we're still doing it. 
um, I'm in the 20 and somebody raises whenever it's, um, I had Jack, Queen Jack offsuit. And I was like, well, this isn't the worst. So I was like, I can defend for, it was pretty sure it was only 20, but I ended up flopping a gut shot, uh, ace king on the flop. And, um, the guy bet pretty small and someone else called and I was like, I mean, an offsuit 10 would be pretty nice. And then I was like, I could probably just get away from this, but we're playing super deep stacked. I drilled the 10, the offsuit 10, and then the flush bricks off on the river. And I think he had top two with ace king. Oh God. Nice. Well, I kind of like your call here. I mean, you know, it's not a good thing to trust gut shots, but when people are betting super small and you're very deep, it's also a lot easier to get paid when you hit a gut shot versus something else. So, I mean, when you have a huge implied odds and it's a small bet with a call, I don't mind peeling one off there. Right. So, I, I did and, you know, got paid pretty good. And I ended up actually having my next or my newest biggest winning session um, yesterday after having my biggest winning session earlier in the week. So, that was really cool and definitely didn't seem like the session that I was going to have <laughs> my biggest winning session. I mean, it's amazing to to start out that badly and to run it up. Because I remember seeing the text from you. I was playing at an, uh, another poker room, and you were just, I was like, oh, God, this is going so bad for him. And I went to bed, didn't hear anything from you, and woke up to, like, your a picture of your mountain of chips. I was like, holy shit. Did you just buy in for two grand, <laughs> just take a picture of it and cash out? I was like, God almighty. <laughs> right. All right, and there's way more than that in the picture, too. Uh, yeah. God, <laughs> but, and man, dude, man, in that one three game after, so after I get stacked with that two pair to that guy's flop set, man, there's this one, the guy who stacked me was just talking literally nonstop. Right. I put both headphones in to listen to two podcasts. Mm hmm. And he was talking to, he was trying to talk to me through both headphones. God, that's annoying. Well, no, and here's the other thing. Everyone at the table put their headphones in because this guy would not quit talking. Headphones, I mean, I you know, uh, what is it? I think Chasing Poker Greatness, that podcast, they're always like, ass, like headphones or no headphones. And I'm like, I usually don't like to play with headphones, but having them as an option is the best thing ever. Because, I mean, if you got a guy like that at your table, I mean, it turns, you know, a just an annoying, annoying session to like, okay, well, you don't really give a shit what they're saying. But, I mean, usually they don't try to talk to you through the headphones, so that's really, uh, that's kind of annoying. I'll do you one better. So, he was trying to talk to me through the headphones, <laughs> and then the dealer was trying to talk to me through the headphones. I was like, hey. Like, on conversationally? Yes, and I was like. Can anyone take a hint? I'm not making eye contact. I'm not responding. You know, it's weird. I had a similar se uh, situation the, t this week, too. Uh, I get in there, like, and I can tell it's a decent game. and But you can tell this just drunk guy who's just just being annoying as hell. I sit down. I immediately read the situation. Headphones go in. And I hear two people talking about how they wish they had headphones. Stop putting them in. And I'm like, oh, God, this is not. But then the guy next to me, who is actually a really cool guy, is uh, he starts talking. And I'm like, I don't mind talking to him. 
But I'm like, I do mind taking the headphones out and having to listen to the bullshit that's going on around the t- at the table because this guy's just crazy. And then the dealer, same thing, just starts talking to me later. But I was, I was like, whatever, I'll put them up and just talk and be sociable. But it's to me that like you could say like, oh, no headphones, it's bad for the game, it's a social game. Yeah, that's great if it's a good table, but if it's a bad table, you need something. Well, I mean. And sometimes you don't feel like chatting after you get stacked. I mean, oh yeah, especially the person who stacked you talking to you about the hand. Like I'm trying to think about anything else. Yeah, it's absolutely. They're just going on about you know what you could have done or how it was just bound to happen. But at that point, you don't really care. You want to. I mean, part of not going on tilt is just moving on and playing the next hand and not thinking about it. Right. Well, and then here's a situation that happened like. With the dealer, so I ended up, I flopped, uh, I had ace-king, I flopped an ace, and then I, it ended up running out to where a king made a straight. So four cards, so I had top pair, but then I ended up with it, uh, the nut straight. Okay. Um, and then I bet and everyone folded, and uh, the dealer just happened to show random two cards, like he showed ten four of spades. And it threw the player off who was talking so much. And then he kept trying to talk. And the dealer was trying to talk to me how he shouldn't have done that. And that was just sent this table off on a tangent of everyone wondering what's going on. And then he kept trying to bring it up about this him showing that hand. And I was like, man, I don't care. I mean, <laughs> like... I mean, yeah. I won my $20 pot. We can move. I mean, you can't imagine many callers whenever it's four cards to a straight. Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know. Lately, I've four <laughs> cards to a straight. If I've got a good hand, paying you off. <laughs> I mean, I was paying off so many people this week. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's unfortunate that they were going on and on about, especially like not a big hand. <laughs> yeah. But uh, once that guy busts out, the whole table is like, oh, whew finally we can take our headphones off and everyone took their headphones off after he left <laughs> the whole table they were like this guy is so annoying yeah that's and you know i don't want to like call people out because i actually like a friendly sociable table but i mean was he a, was he drunk he wasn't drunk but he was trying to tell people how they should play Ooh, that's that's might be even worse yeah like he was telling one guy that he had left money on the table on a certain hand and all sorts of stuff. He said, how can you call on this board or something? And then he did the same thing. He called on a super wet board with pocket kings and got stacked for a ton of money. Oh, I mean, any person who sits there and talks strategy at the table, 95% of the time, they are not good. Because uh, if you're good, you're good enough to know that you shouldn't be talking strategy at the table. Right, absolutely. So, so if somebody asks me, uh, I will give them my honest, uh, I mean, because I always want to help to grow the game, and I don't want to just be better than the bad player. I want to be better than, you know, I just want to grow as a poker player, so I'm always going to help other people do the same. So if they ask me, I will give them an honest answer, but I'm never just going to jump in there and be like, you know, hey, you can't do that or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I've had a few times where people ask me, and, like, sometimes I'll give my honest feedback. Uh, I don't know. I try really hard not to talk strategy at the table. I mean, just talk about anything else, so. Somebody will be non... Uh, sometimes I'll be kind of non-committal. Well, because a lot of hands, it's just they're up in the air. It's I mean, it's not 
it's not black and white. I mean, it's, you know, it's might be like a 55-45% edge on one call versus another. But I don't know. If somebody if somebody asks me, I don't mind giving them what I would do in that certain situation. I don't I don't feel like that one uh, one piece of advice from me is going to turn them from a donkey to a winning player. I mean, maybe I write everything down and it still wouldn't do it. So I don't think any like one hand is going to really do it. If they ask me, I will give my honest uh, feedback. But I'm never just, you know, like berating and telling somebody or whatever what they should be doing and all of that. Oh, okay. People play with me. I got to caveat this. If you come at me, with how I'm playing, I'm coming back at you, though. Like, there's a couple times where they're like, oh, you're raising pre-flop again and all that. And I tell you what, you start saying like that when you're calling me with 3-7 offsuit, then I'm coming back at you on how you should play. So uh, it goes both ways. Right. Um, yeah, especially like in your game where you're seeing the same players every time. Kind of makes for a different dynamic, but... Yeah, it's a, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a very different dynamic for both of us, because you play, like, with different players all the time, because you have so many poker rooms. My player pool is about the same. Right. So, we'll kind of have to see, uh, so, yeah, like I say, I mean, kind of a completely different, uh, process there. So I guess that's how I was running. How how did you end up doing this week? Because it's been a long time since we recorded. So, well, it's been a lot of variants since we started recording. So I remember when we start, first started this podcast, I was on the most vicious downswing I've ever been on, and I was like, I'm not sure I want to do a poker podcast. I'm not sure I know how to play poker. So maybe we should do anything. And then I went on a gigantic upswing of, I had ten winning sessions in a row. Uh, a lot of them very big winning sessions, but it came to an end this week when I donkeyed off six, uh, probably like 600 or something off one session, which was not going to be a winning session, but I played so badly. I mean, I can't even say it's the cards cause I, it, I wouldn't have won, but I could have minimized my losses. I have, I need to go back over like absolute versus relative hand strength. Because I've been getting two pair in situations where it doesn't really matter. With like, I mean, one, I had king-queen. I raise almost the entire table calls, and it comes queen 4-4. Four, four. Uh, I bet, thinking that, it's you know, someone doesn't always have to have trips here. There's two callers. I know the minute there's two callers, I'm in trouble. A king comes on the turn, which does not... I know in my head does not change anything. Anything, I mean, nobody has ace-queen here. So any queen I was already beating. And king-queen, out of outside of giving me boat outs, you know, 8% of the time, doesn't really change much. I check it, and someone bets, and there's a call. And this should be a fold 100% of the time. I level myself into, like, calling. And then, the, and then he bets the river on a river that ceases to matter and the pot odds were so insane and one player hadn't raised so i didn't think he had a four and the other player 
I've seen him do erratic stuff, but I know this is a fold too, and I call, and that was kind of the story of my week. I had another one where I flopped two pair, but it runs to a four card straight, and I'm like, can he use this as a bluff? And I know players at our level are really not turning things into a bluff like that very often. Again, level I kind of just sit there and talk myself into a bad call. So, like I say, I need to learn to kind of get away from these hands where my real, my absolute strength might be strong, but the relative strength just isn't that great. Yeah, I mean, that was my story in that I had a pretty big losing session this week earlier in the week where I had overvalued ace-queen again after last week. I said, don't put all the money with ace-queen. You know what I did? Got all the money with ace-queen. <laughs> You know what I did? Went home early. I mean, which is the story of Ace Queen. All the, I mean, getting all the money with Ace Queen. You're you're probably going to be in the parking lot pretty quick. So was it all in pre-flop or after the flop? Of course, of course, it's all pre-flop. pre-flop. Yeah, yeah, just a disaster, really. Yeah. Hmm. I'm usually on the other side. I play Ace Queen so damn aggressively, but I but, guess there is a certain point. I mean, I'm not like doing four bets and stuff with it. So I mean, I'll I love. It's been super profitable since I started three betting it. I bet you that not just three betting that hand. I bet you just three betting more in general makes you more profitable. I agree with that. That you three betting ace queen isn't what's making you more profitable. I bet if you three bet just more in general, you'd be more profitable. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Because everyone always talks about how you're supposed to be three betting more when you're in position and stuff, but then it can be tough when you have marginal holdings. And then if you make that three bet with marginal holdings and get two callers, and if you're buying in for 100 big blinds, oftentimes you're playing for stacks with marginal holdings. Well, yeah, I think it depends on the table. Cause, so, I mean, forever today, I've said that I don't do a lot of bluffing at our level because people don't make big folds. I think just getting value from your hands. Uh, pre-flop, I think it's very dependent on how often... I would really need to chart it to see how often you're going to take it down with a three bet. Um, a three bet in Texas, probably not getting any folds. I mean, I've made it a hundred at one two pre flop and gotten action. So that's kind of where I don't three bet too often. But I will say, like holdings like Ace Queen and stuff, where you're either going to flop usually top pair or over cards, because there's not a lot of three betting in the games I play, usually people will give you credit for aces, kings, and queens, especially when you're kind of a tight player like I am and you are, depending on the session. Uh, so it's a... Uh, because uh, a lot of times, more often than not, when I miss, my C-bet will take it down with ace-queen. Uh, so it's a... Uh, and then I have, you know, the backup for, you know, probably about 25% of the time going to hit top pair. Oh, yeah, no, I agree. But I just... Yeah, just three betting in certain games. Like, if you're still gonna get action whenever you only have aces, kings, ace, king, queens, or jacks, if you're three betting jacks, um, there's almost no reason to three bet light if you're always gonna get action anyway. That's kind of my thought. It's a uh, if nobody's folding, because in a tougher game you have to three bet more often, so that every time you three bet you just don't have the nuts, but. Like you say, if you're going to get action anyways, then you might as well just, you know, bet your hand string. Yeah, but, I mean, still, good lesson learned. Don't put all the money with ace-queen. 
Good job. Yeah. Well. Well. Good job. I mean, that's what I did well, and you, lost. Well, I mean, you learned the lesson. <laughs> my my lesson would be, you know, if two pairs not great for that board, quit getting all your money in with two pair. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if learning the lesson because I preached the lesson episode five and came back with episode six confirming the lesson that I just went and did it. So I'm not. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Well, you know, some of us take a little bit more, a little bit more education and training than others. Yeah, I have to learn the hard way a bunch of times. So, yeah, it's a uh, so uh, it's a lot of drama where I'm at, like over uh, there, like uh, so I've told you forever and a day, like I'm so envious because you live in Houston, you have all these great poker rooms at you, like at your fingertips. So, it went like I'm over in College Station where there's only one room it's only open it opens at 7 30 wednesday thursday friday saturday considering i work saturday that's not a lot of a lot of time then it goes there's a second room that opens finally and they're gonna be all day and they're only closed on sundays well then now the original room has new owners one of the players and one of the dealers bought it out so now they're making a push to have earlier games, more games, and stuff like that. So all kinds of drama coming where I'm at, which I love. I'm like, they're like, oh, I can't went over there, and they're like, you're back. I'm like, oh, I'm going to both poker rooms. I'm like, I I love the competition, so both are getting my business. Uh, so it's I'm loving I'm loving this little, I mean, College Station's kind of this growing poker community. So I'm loving that you know it's kind of. It's kind of come up a little bit. Well, and especially two rooms in College Station, you're definitely going to want to support both because you want the game in general to grow in College Station. It does you no good if one room takes out the other. And then you only have one room. If both rooms can thrive together. <laughs> there you go. Well, that was the owner's like, uh, ask, he's like, we're going to take that and I, that room's going to fold. I'm like, I'm like, you're looking at it the wrong way. The big thing is to grow the player pool in general. And because this... Both rooms could survive, and like I say, if the play, but y'all need to grow the player pool, just anyways, because there, like it's like me and you say, like the one three is kind of intimidating for new new players. It's it's hard to come up with three hundred bucks of your money when you feel like you're just gonna blow it, and all of that. You kind of need the cheaper games, like you need the Paramounts in Houston. To filter in to the 52 socials. So you kind of need that in College Station, especially in a college town where it's a lot of college kids. Right, but especially in those rooms where it's like one room, I guess they are literally taking players from each other. But if they both do good, it's going to help each other out, right? Because if one room is growing the player pool and the other, then those players are going to go to the other room as well. I mean, there'll be different promotions, I'm sure, for each room to where people will go to both. And each room is going to do better because the player pool in general is bigger. Yeah, well, and, like, even, like, a player like me, I was coming to Houston a lot to get the variety. Now I kind of stay towards there. Not great for the podcast because I would like to uh, yeah, show a little bit more variety, but, crap, I need to support kind of my hometown to keep this thing growing. So it's a... Uh, but yeah, I, like, yeah, getting this player pool a little bit more and more. But he also came to me. He's like, "What? You're one of the regs here. Like, what can I do to make this poker room better?" And it got me thinking. And I was like, "Ooh, man, 
And I told him, like, open more often, more days, earlier hours. But what, when you go to a poker room, what is it that blows you away? What What do you really look for? I sound about blows me away. <laughs> but some of the things I'm looking for whenever I go, <laughs> I guess would be like a time bulk. That, to me, is a big deal for someone who goes a lot. I guess I'm not blown away by it. But whenever I'm looking at different rooms, if I can get a deal for my time, because I live so close to all the rooms, to where if I can get a deal to buy a lot of time, I'm going to go back more often. But I guess you said the rake is very similar to the time bulks anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, I think like the bulk time, because at the end of the day, the bulk time, all it is is doing is reducing your hourly cost. Right. So just having a little, like a lower hourly fee in general would be the, the big thing. But though, okay, both of these are only 10 bucks an hour, which is kind of the men for prime time regardless. Like assuming that that's, they're both the same and they're both going to keep that. Uh, like I'm trying to think what would be the big thing. I kind of like how Paramount has the, because I don't think the room that you're referring to would have like a kitchen, like a, a nice kitchen. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like if they could go maybe Paramount route of like, maybe they could do like, uh, like you can bring your own alcohol or they don't serve alcohol there, do they? They don't serve alcohol. No. So maybe you could bring your own alcohol, but they have, um, you know, the sodas, the Gatorades, the monsters, and then a bunch of snacks that they keep stocked for free. The snacks and drinks, I mean, they all have, well, like they had a game girl serving it at the new room, which was like everything was on ice. It was kind of nice. They did a real good job with that. I guess having somebody available, there's like these daiquiri barn that's real popular up there to go and grab stuff like that. You know, like again, like Paramount, because they have that runner who just goes and gets random crap for people. What do you look for in a room? Because, I mean, I'm kind of, I look more for the, the rake structure, and I really like, you know, the snacks that they have. Um, I think that's really nice and really welcoming to new players when you tell them that, hey, you can come play, you know, and get free drinks and you know, all the, you know, Gatorade you can drink or whatever. Or, well, I guess they probably wouldn't do many small tournaments. I like that personally. But what what kind of things do you look for? I guess, like, having that person to get the alcohol because and we talked about this and it can be really annoying but in Houston I almost stopped playing at places that didn't have any alcohol servings because the games are just way better I mean it just loosens the game up uh it can it get too much and be annoying at times yes but in general I think it's probably a good thing for the game it's a you know anyone that doesn't have that it seems like it's just a much tighter room so that would be probably number one for me, maybe. That's funny from someone who doesn't really drink when they play. Oh yeah, <laughs> your it's, number one is serving alcohol. I mean, a hundred percent. It's a I don't drink when I play hardly ever. Sometimes, but very very rarely. Uh, okay, this is not for me, but I think in general this is what people look for a lot: the game girls. It definitely. So the alcohol and the game girls definitely drive the recreational player to go. I think when they're deciding where to play, I think if you have the option, I think that definitely plays a factor. I think 100%. Because, okay, when it first got, when poker first came here, it was Mint and Post Oak uh, was the big ones. Prime became the big place to play in Houston. I mean, they didn't advertise it, advertise it, but, I mean, 
they had a bunch of models walking around, basically. And that's, I mean, I don't know if that's the whole reason, but it's a big reason they took over the, uh, kind of the poker scene. Uh, 52 Social was the next big one, and I don't think it was any better than Prime, as far as, but that was cheaper rake with, you know, the game girls being, like, amazing over there, too. So, is it is it something I look for? No, not really. But I do look for it because I think it makes the game better in general. I think it makes the game better for, like I said, those players who aren't really playing that regularly and are just looking to go have a good time, which is really what you want to make the game better. So Yeah, because, I mean, they both factor in. Al- alcohol and pretty girls... I mean, neither one leans itself to, like, grinder, grinder. It leans itself to somebody who's looking, yeah, just like you said, to have a good, have a good time. Uh, I don't know, like, I can't give him this suggestion, but, like, I really like a nice area. Because, like I say, I played in the underground rooms where it wasn't really nice. So, like, if I was in Houston, it doesn't get as much action as you would think. But, like, I like, like, walking in and being, like, champions, where it's, like, really, really nice on the inside. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's hard to do for a lot of places, but it is really nice when it happens. Oh, yeah, it doesn't work out well for this place, because that's a lot of money. Uh, I guess location. We don't think about it much, because Houston kind of has the same locations. But I was telling them, like, there's... BCS poker is like in the back of kind of like a warehouse type. I'm like, this location will hold y'all back. New players do not want to come to the back of a warehouse with a lot of money. Well, especially if you don't know anybody in the game. You're going by yourself at night. Yeah, it's just too intimidating. Like the other one is like in a strip center by by Planet Fitness. Way less intimidating. So I guess location, even though I don't think about it much, uh... That's kind of a big one, too. You need to have something where if it's going to be in a location that's kind of not that great, like I would say like maybe 52 Social is not in a location where you're like, oh, yeah, I'll walk down the street at 1 in the morning. I feel good here. <laughs> uh, then you need, then you definitely need like security around to make people feel comfortable. All right, which 52 does a great job of doing. I've always felt pretty good. Uh, they even seem to kind of have up security. I, that's a big thing, uh, like, just last night, somebody was asking me, he knew I'd play around there, and he liked the idea of going to 52 Social, but he was a little nervous about the area, and he was asking me, and I was like, I think, in general, you should always be aware of your surroundings, but, I mean, we've gone a ton of times, and we've never had even the slightest of an issue, and I think that's due to their, they have really good security there. 100% due to that, um. 24, 24 seven. So it's a, so yeah, it's like, I don't even know what they just having it. There's any deterrent would be really, it's really nice. Here's something that I was going to bring up before we started talking about that new room, something that kind of plays a factor for me sometimes. Um, once I have, so whenever you're tracking your, your sessions and your bankroll, when I hit that new bankroll high, I get real hesitant because I'm always like, oh, I don't want to go down. Does that ever, I know it doesn't really affect you that much, does it? It doesn't affect me as long as I don't go down enough to where I feel my bankroll's endangered. But I mean, it's never going to stay at the high. 
I mean, very unlikely. I mean, if your high is right now, the chances of it never dipping down any lower... Because, I mean, okay, if you play and win this next session, that's a new high. I mean, it's going to dip... I mean, I hate to break it to you, you're going to have a losing session at least one other time in your poker career. I mean, it gives me anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to go play yesterday. because <laughs> I didn't want to have a losing session. <laughs> now, I was on the opposite end. I like on the win streak. I was like, oh, God, let me win. Let me win. Because I was like, ooh, I want to break 10. I want to break 10. And then I uh, couldn't. So th I kind of wanted that. But I wouldn't say that gave me anxiety. It was just something like, I was like, man, let's keep it going. So, but... I don't think so. Like, once my bankroll gets, like, a little on the, uh, oh, God, what's going to happen here side, I'm a little nervous. But as long as I have bankroll to support, you know, our poker, uh, hitting the high doesn't really do much. I I think what affects me more is seeing the at my hourly drop versus what it is. I mean, I, that's kind of my goal. That's how I kind of gauge my success. Right, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I always am mainly judging it off the hourly, but when I hit that new bankroll high, that does affect me on that next session. I'm like, ugh. Oh, it's the best feeling in the world when you get, like, the, the new high. Oh, it affects me the other way. I'm like, ugh, I don't want to take a big hit here after just hitting a new high. Like, I just hit that new goal is how I always think about it. Because I, I mean, I went and hit that new bankroll high, and I was like, I don't really want to go play. I should go play one two instead, and then I was like, uh, "If anything, it seems like you'd go the other way and start playing the bigger games." Which I've been encouraging you. I'm glad to see you went and did five five because I think I think you're well within the range. Maybe not to every session five five, but I mean, I think at least one out of four or five you should be playing five five. Right. No, I mean that's exactly what happened. But I mean. I had the one two game punched in on my GPS before I went to. <laughs> I mean, the only reason why I didn't go is because they didn't answer the phone when I called to get on the list. Tyler's so. like, I'm on a bakeroll high. Oh, are you going to, what you going to go do, Tyler? Tyler's like, I'm looking for a $20 sit and go. <laughs> I'm trying to bump it down. I don't want anything to get out of control. <laughs> so, okay. Well, that's, uh, that, I would say you are different than most other players in that respect. So, kind of talking about, like, that, it kind of reminds me of, like, I know in chess they have, like, an ELO system. And I know in different video games they have an ELO system. And they had something in one of the video games um, that they would talk about where they had, they called it, uh, like, ranked anxiety. Because once you hit that rank, people would not want to play anymore because they wouldn't want to lose it. I can see that, yeah. That's kind of what it feels like because they ended up switching to a different system so you wouldn't have that set number to give you the anxiety to where, like, they would hide that number from the player because it gives people anxiety. Once you hit that high, you don't want it to go down and people will stop playing. So I think it's more common than you think people getting anxiety hitting that new high. Because to me, the bankroll almost feels like ELO. Um, if you don't know what ELO is, it's kind of like a ranking system. Um well, I know, because I play Overwatch, well, so no, it's no. kind of like SR there. Like, I mean, it's just, a, like, if you win, it gets you, like, a higher score, lower is lower, but you kind of, and then it kind of, you kind of get different medals as it goes up, right? 
Definitely. No, I know you knew what ELO was. I meant if anyone's listening and doesn't play video games like us, they oh, might yeah. not know what ELO is or in chess. They're but, like, what yeah. the fuck is this nerd talk that <laughs> yeah, just happened? Exactly. Like, <laughs> Clint's like, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> he's like, quit <laughs> explaining it to me, please. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, you're talking to me like I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah. They're like, I came here for a poker podcast, not just talk, <laughs> listen to two nerds <laughs> talk about their ELO and SR. <laughs> yeah, but it's basically a ranking system, and it gives people anxiety. That's kind of what a, the same kind of effect. I can see that. Okay, now that you explain it that way, that kind of makes a lot of sense. Uh, okay, yeah, I can kind of... Well, like I say, like the hourly, I think, has that effect on me, too. Well, because, like, I I read, like, on, like, video games. you remember Halo back in the day? Halo 2, yes. Okay, it, they had, like, a system where it, like, leveled you up. Mm-hmm. And if you won, you lost. If you won, you'd go up. If you lost. And what they... they Then, like, later Halos, they took it away, which I hated. I Like, I wanted to know how I was doing. But they found it... If you were really good, you loved it. But if you were really bad, you didn't want to be reminded about how bad you were. So, yeah, I can... And the same thing kind of with poker. I mean, this is the same reason, like, the vast majority of poker players will never track the results. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean... So, yeah, it's the same thing as the ELO or whatever. I mean, if you're losing... I mean, you want to go have a good time. You don't want to lose your hobby, but you don't want to be reminded about, like, oh, God, I'm not that great at this. (laughs) Right, and I should probably get a new hobby. (laughs) Because this hourly is a disaster. And if you're a bad player, please don't track... We right. need you. <laughs> right. We had a whole podcast about how valuable you are. <laughs> so it's a no. That's that's a good way to look at it I mean, on on that. So okay, well, hopefully that you didn't explain it so well that I that I end up with the same anxiety next time I hit a bankroll <laughs> high. It never affected me, and now I'm like, oh god, what happens if I lose? My high's gonna be gone. <laughs> um, did you already go over one of your hands this week, or did you have one for us? You might have touched on it. I touched on it. Uh, I mean, I can explain it. In, you know, I had one last night that was kind of interesting. So it's a straddle to six. I'm in, I think, like the hijack position. Uh, one person makes it 26. It's a call. I have pocket tens. I think a lot of people three bet here. I don't like doing that with this hand. Uh, if I three bet and I'm called then I just, I don't love it. And it's, if I am against a bigger hand, if I'm kind of set mining, kind of playing an overpair, I mean, it's pretty, I kind of like playing this just as a flat call. So 26, a call, and then I call, and the original straddler folds. So before the flop comes out, the original razor says I'm all in blind. Uh and he has there's probably tw- about 980 about 90 in the pot and he's all in for like 100 so it's a pretty big bet into the pot but on the other side he's probably pot stuck in this pot if he's got a decent hand so the other player folds it comes king 3 3 which i don't love because i'm thinking of hands he might do this with Jacks, queens, kings, and aces would definitely be all in that. Ace king would be there. King queen would be there. Uh, king jack suited might be there. I mean, maybe even like queen. Mm, yeah, it's so. But I go forever. What would you do in this situation? 
I guess when I read it, whenever you text me the situation, I was thinking it was a snap call. But now that I have the full story, because, you know, we can only, you know, give so much through text when we're both playing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an interesting situation because, I mean, this screams Ace King to me. But at the same point, how was the player type? Was he a tight player or was he kind of aggressive? Or I think he's kind of aggressive. I think I just put the call in and hope for the best. I put the call in thinking that there's a ton of hands that I'm losing to. But I am getting one to three. And it's not a horrible flop for me. I mean, because if he can do this with ace-king, he can do this with ace-queen. He can do this with ace-jack was what I was thinking. He could do this with nines or eights. So, getting almost one to three, I was like, uh, and I mean, it might seem like an easy call. When I called and flipped my cards over, everybody's like, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, and, and, I was, and I was immediately, they're like, do you want to run it twice? I was like, it's up to you, man. Anything you want to do. He never exposed his cards, and then at the end, he's just like, you're good. And uh, so I was like, oh, God. You ran it twice? No, he said once. Oh, so, okay. I mean, I, uh, I, I let it be his decision. He said once was fine. I don't know what he had. Maybe two overs or maybe a pair under. I mean, I guess would be the two things that would ring out. Someone might do this with, like, a suited connectors, too. You know, sometimes, man, it seems like, especially at, like, the games that we play at, some players just are looking for a reason to go home. I this I kind of thought that, too. I kind of felt like this, this is a guy who did not want to be, like, just hanging around with 100 bucks. So that was probably factored into it. That I mean, he's like, well, $100, you know, I'll either take this down or... You know, go home. I mean, because we kind of we've been guilty of it too, of being a very a lot looser when we have uh, stacks like that. Oh, hundred percent. But I mean, I'm not like I'm a lot looser. But I think some players just look to bust to go home. Like I, I oftentimes, I mean, I'll get looser because I'll try to make some squeeze plays or something. Mm -hmm. Whenever I'm shorter stacked, but I, I played at, you know, I played at a few rooms where I had one guy literally tell me he never leaves with money. Yeah, and I mean, he took, we played a PLO hand, and he's like, you're good, and turned his hand over. He's like, I have two pair. Turns out he had a straight as well. But, I mean, yeah, I flopped a set. But, like, you know, like I said, this sums up PLO perfectly. That seems about right. The dealer's like, he actually won. I'm like, I know, I saw, but it's fine. I mean, but he was like, yeah, I, I never leave with money. And he was just, he played for a long time, and he actually ran up a pretty good stack for what he bought in for. And then eventually just started calling three bets and four bets with like ace three offsuit and jack five. And it was just like, well, not for me to go. And he just, it's like, man, wish you would have told me that that's what you were going to do. Cause he played tight the entire time, ran up a stack and then just gave it away at the end and went home. So it seems like a lot of players sometimes will just, if you're just playing for fun, it seems like a lot of times they'll just give it away at the end just to, to give a reason to go home. I feel like that's very true, and I feel like that's very much what uh, one of the uh, big things that makes poker profitable. Ooh, I just remembered. I have a really good hand from last night. Go for it. Okay, so this is so it's a double board bomb pot. Okay. Uh, ten dollars in. 
Uh, I have King 8 suited. King 8 of hearts. So the board on the top board runs out 10, 10, 6, 2 hearts. The bottom board runs out King 10, uh, wait, no, King 9, 6. And I'm like, I got top pair on one board and a flush draw on the other. This is not a time I usually bet here. Because to me, you kind of need to be nutted on these hands. But I'm like, this is pretty good. It's hard for me to be completely dominated anywhere. And I'm like, I wonder if one bet can take it down. So I bet 45, thinking maybe I can put pressure on somebody to fold. Uh, everybody folds except for one. He jams for $250. Like, oh, God. This is, this is hurtful. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like thinking, I'm like, oh, God. So he's like, he's like, just let me take it. And I'm like, well, oh, no. I'm like, so if I'm up against King Queen, I am got 36% just to win half. So I am not in a good spot. But if he's playing a trip tens or something like that, then I mean I have the other I have the board. I mean I have the one board with these chance to scoop the other board. Right. What do you do here? I'm probably the last person you want to take your double board bomb pot advice from. I mean, I've had my two biggest winning sessions. You know how many double board bomb bots I played? Zero. Exactly zero. <laughs> I played exactly zero. I told him I'm gonna set out every single one. I don't care. I'm just I'm just not even getting involved. I'll just walk around or do literally anything else than play the double board bomb pot. I mean, I just have no interest right now. Okay. So I, but I would call. <laughs> so I tank forever in a day. I mean, it's like it's a gigantic raise into this, and I'm like, well, would he would he raise this big with something like king queen? I mean, it doesn't seem like that's that it would be. It seems like this is a ten, in which on there. So eventually, I go ahead and make the call. I completely whiff the flush up top. Do not improve on the bottom. But luckily for me, he shows 6-10 for a flop boat on the top and pair of sixes on bottom. So Ooh. my pair of kings takes half the bomb pot. I was like, I was like, ooh, God. I was like, so I'm like, you flopped a boat? He's like, yeah. I'm like, ooh, God, my draw was not even live up at the top. So... I don't know if that was more luck or skill, but either way, I was taking half the pot. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's never great when you put get the money in drawing stone dead. But on that note, this concludes episode six. This was the Texas Booker Podcast. We will talk to you next week. That was the Texas Poker Podcast. Go ahead and rack up. Add time, and we'll see you next week.